Welcome to The Blossom Experiment, a podcast in which we talk about authenticity, intuition, and intuitive living. My intention is to inspire and help you tap into your uniqueness so you can create a life that is meant for you and no one else. With your host, Camille Nettable. Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we have a very beautiful interview with Ucha. Ucha is from Indonesia. She moved out of home and she was only 12 years old and she used half her corporate salary for four years to buy books, which really, really empowered her to pursue her dreams and gave her so much knowledge. And you will hear that knowledge overflow from her during the episode. She will tell us the story of how she quit the comfortable corporate job to pursue her dreams thanks to those books and how she went against the current as an Indonesian woman and how her story developed from there. This is a very beautiful episode if you're someone who's struggling to go against the current in your own um, community or in your own ways, if you have different values and you really want to follow that authenticity, you really want to follow those dreams of yours, this is a very inspiring episode for you. So yeah, I'm super excited for that. So let's just go ahead and jump into the interview. Hi, Ucha. Thank you so much for joining me here today. I'm so happy to talk to you. How are you? Hi, Kami. I'm good. Um, thank you for having me. I'm Thank good. You. And how are you? I'm good as well. I'm so <laughs> glad that you're here. We had an amazing time um, chatting on your podcast. So I'm really happy to have you and all of your wisdom here over <laughs> on mine as well. Awesome. Thank you for having me. So I would like to kick off our chat asking you about your background a little bit. So tell us a little bit about yourself and also how your background and your story transformed you into the unique person that you are today. Mm. Good question. <clears throat> Where do we start? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So basically I'm Ucha. I am from Indonesia. Um, I come from very little village in the western part of Indonesia and then um it's so small with only I don't know how many people 25,000 people maybe oh, that wow. we didn't even have like uh we have schools but we didn't have let's say um bookstores or we didn't have um library so um so it's a village and then when I was 12 I already moved out of home to study to another city so <clears throat> study in a better school um which is more like a city rather than a village I think the st the story will sort of you know, starts from there because it's something that I also didn't realize until later on because, you know, I will meet people maybe from the Western country and then they will tell me, oh, I moved out when I was 18, um, mm -hmm. stuff like that. And I, I, a lot of things happened in my life after that, um, that I didn't realize that I actually also moved out when I was 12. So, and then I lived away from home for three years but still, I can go back to my family every one week. Um, after I graduated, I think 
when I was 14, I graduated. We call it junior high school here. Mm. So from Wait, grades... so you moved out of your, like by yourself when you were 12? Yes, when I was 12. Oh my God. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> how, like, how, does this, how does that happen? How does a 12-year-old take care of themselves? Exactly, right? I didn't realize that. So the, the funny thing is, um, in my village, it's a common thing. Not every teenager would do it and not every parent, let's say, would let their children go. But for the sake of finding better education, some parents mm. would let that happen. So I wasn't the only 12-year-old that went away. Um, I have friends as well that are the same age as me. And of course, you know, you don't work or anything. Parents still give you like the student loans whatsoever, but still, mm -hmm. you still need to wake up, you know, like uh, make sure you go to school on time. Look oh my God, you're yourself. like a tiny adult. That's crazy. I know, I know, I know. I forgot, I literally, so so that, that happened for three years, live by myself, well, with friends, right? In a house, uh, we have a landlord there, you know, like which look after us, like uh, where our parents say, okay, please look after these children because they're only 12 years old. <laughs> <laughs> and then <laughs> I didn't, this is something that I didn't realize until the last two years. I totally mm. forgot about that, that part of my life I forgot about. So um, yeah, we would cook for ourselves and look after ourselves, wash our own clothes, wake ourselves up in the morning, oh, wow. you know, things like that. So uh, when I was 15, no, 14, actually, uh, my my auntie, my mom's sister, who was living in Bali, already been living in Bali for maybe 25 years at that time, called my mom and said, um, she, well, how old is she now? And my mom said she just graduated junior high school. And my auntie said, ask her if she wants to come here for school. And then I was like, uh, I was very excited, actually. Very, very wow. excited. I was very excited because it's something very different than my mom was like, don't go. You, It won't be similar to living with your parents. Uh, it would be like different challenge. Um, but I was like, I was very stubborn. So mm -hmm. I said, no, I want to go. So my mom uh, took me here. And then um, after two weeks, she still actually tried to convince me, like, just tell your auntie you want to go home. You change your mind. And I'm like, no, I didn't change my mind. I want to stay here. <laughs> so, <laughs> so at 14, I moved to Bali, something completely different to uh, you know, where I'm from in the village, right? And I remember when I arrived here, my auntie told me, you come from a very different place. You know, like Bali, you can find everyone from around the world. And yeah. the place that I'm from is everyone's Muslim. Everything is so strict. You know, it's a very different culture. So my auntie was very strict with me at the time. And she said, you are not going to be allowed to hang out with your friends uh, because you are here under my responsibility. You are good. You will be hanging out, but just with family, uh, you know, my auntie's family. So <clears throat> because of that, um, I think that turned me into somebody who's, you know, like you're a teenager, you have a lot of curiosity and then you, you, but you are not allowed to, you know, like explore. Right. So 
um I think for for the first two years maybe I was like oh why am I not allowed but after a while I guess it turned into acceptance and um I guess it also turned me into a different person which is like this mm. introverted person that just okay I'm not allowed to go out so what do I do then I start reading books um and then after I graduated uh I graduated high school actually there was this guy so my auntie has like a uh what do you call homestay right because in bali so mm. homestay is a common yeah. business and there's this guy who came uh he's a japanese and at the time when he came here he was staying at my auntie's homestay and we had a chat and he said that he moved to uh new zealand to learn japanese to learn english to learn english uh, he didn't speak any English at that time. And then he went there, lived for nine months. And I was only a 15, 15, 17 year old girl and hearing that story. And then he said that he works as a digital nomad. That's the first mm-hmm. time I heard about it. He works as well. He he said he works online as an investor. And he told me that this thing and uh, called is called digital nomad. People who live this lifestyle is called digital nomad. So you can basically um travel the world because your work is online, something like that, right? So I think what year was that? Kind of, that was 2010. Okay, so that was 12 years ago. Wow. Yeah. Okay, that already existed. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. So I remember he told me about that. That was called, that is called Digital Nomad. I think it wasn't very famous at that time. And Mm. um, I don't know, 12, 11 years ago. So 2011. So I'm still in high school at that time. Mm. Um, And then he told me about it. And he also showed me at that time, he was already doing, um, you know, blogging. So he said Mm. that. Oh my God. Yeah. He was already blogging. And then uh, he said, beside investing this is my side job something like that right so I was like wow this is amazing so you know because of my background I'm also from the village like where people are are conditioned or expected to you know like especially for girls okay um when you grow up you if you have the opportunity you go study at university but then almost everyone just got married after and stuff like that. Right. Mm. And then uh, a lot of people that I've seen also, um, I don't know, leave their children at home for whatever reason. And then I read this book, it's called emotional intelligence. And I think it says that one of the biggest problem problem uh, in our society today is caused by well, when the industrial revolution happened and moms has to work, so then the children become being left at home and they watch TV and that that become their, you know, kind of second mm-hmm. mom. So the, I I still have that in me. Like, okay, I what what kind of thing would I be able to do that um, if I happen to have children one day, I can give them you know, my time, like I want to kind of find a, that kind of job. At the time I was only 15, 15, 16 years old. Right. So when I had a chance to go to university, um, I think that kind of already set the course of every decision that I made after. So then I decided Mm. to study 
computer science and um when we study in computer science we also the campus that i went to it's called technopreneurship technopreneurship campus um then yeah we we basically were encouraged to like we are given the skill and encouraged to create a business out of it. Like we were taught mm. all of that when I was at university. Okay, cool. And then I didn't like coding, but I liked the business part of it. So I stayed at the university. Um, although I resigned, actually, I've never told anyone this. Um, <laughs> now just mentioning <laughs> no. it in a podcast. I, yeah. 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 I, I, yeah. I, I resigned. I already defended my thesis proposal and I already passed the proposal, but I'm an idealist. So it's a technopreneurship campus. And in the classes, the lecturer often said, okay, guys, so you must uh, study hard so you can make sure you get a good grade for this so that you can get accepted in such and such company, you know? And then I just got tired of it that I asked the lecturer, I'm sorry, but we are in a technopreneurship campus. Why are you still saying this kind of things, you know? Yeah. Like we're we're supposed to be encouraged to be uh, technopreneurs, te technopreneurs, not, you know, you know, not being brainwashed again to go to mm -hmm. uh, work for some company. And he said, well, uh, but let's, I'm just being realistic. Even though this is a technopreneurship campus, not all of you will become technopreneurs. So then I feel like, okay, this is not aligned with my values mm. because one of the reasons why I am, uh, I chose this university is because of uh, it's a technopreneurship campus and yeah. that is my passion, right? To be a technopreneurs. And um, also I feel like, okay, I'm not good at coding. And if I graduate and hold the degree, it will be a computer science, bachelor of computer science. And I've, feel like I'm not eligible for that <laughs> for that <laughs> because I don't want to be holding a bachelor degree and not be able to code I I have the technopreneurship technopreneurship knowledge like if an engineer came to me and say I have this idea uh I can make the product but I don't know how to you know create the business out of it I can do that mm -hmm. I cannot do the coding so I feel like okay I don't mind to leave and things that I want to pursue in my life does not require uh, a degree so I left that and then also I actually started my job when I was 18 the same year that I entered university um, and I remember at the time um like when I got my first salary, I so the salary is still, you know, given in the envelope. This was 2014. <laughs> <laughs> I I stood at the parking lot and I looked at it. It was, I think I believe in dollars is probably $250. Um and then I looked at it and I thought to myself, what can I invest this in? that can you know give me a lot lot of return so mm -hmm. i was probably 18 then and then okay i could definitely i definitely cannot just put this in a bank as a deposit because you know if i just put like one year of work 
I don't know, $2,000, how much would I get? Not much. So what did I do? <laughs> Went to a bookstore and I think spent half of it buying books. And for the rest wow. of my work at the university, I um, half of my salary, almost half, if not half, then a quarter, because I also had to pay for my university. So always buy books, like a lot of books. Even then wow. I, because I told you, Mandy said that I'm not allowed to, um, mm -hmm. you know, hang out for my own good, which at that time I don't understand. Now I'm kind of, okay, I understand it now, right? Because like Steve Jobs said, you cannot connect the dots uh, looking forward. You can only do it looking backwards. Looking so now back, looking backwards, right. yeah, I can understand that. So <laughs> I... I read a lot of books and I think when in your podcast, I talk about, uh, I talked about um, this book. I read about the whole brain power. It's written by mm -hmm. a Japanese guy where he said that if you walk into the bookstore and you, if you pay attention of what kind of books, um, you know, sparks your interest or feels close to you it's, it means it's books the, the the knowledge or the books are calling to you something like that right so um at the time at the beginning I remember reading a lot well about psychology there was a lot about mm. psychology <laughs> and just well obviously living with my auntie which is my relative but not necessarily my parents it has its own challenges right that made yeah. me question yeah. myself um, as a person and it has a lot of challenges uh, for me as a teenager because I was only 14 um, and I actually lived with her for eight years um, so I read a lot a lot about the um psychology you know like because sometimes I would be told okay why are you crying for such a small thing and then I would question mm. like so how am I supposed to feel like how do yeah. other people feel how would other people feel right so then yeah just dive deeper into the human psychology understanding myself and then after four years of working in that job, I decided to leave. The funny thing is because, not because it got too challenging, because it got too comfortable. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, well, I think at that time, my hours or my day was pretty intense because in the morning I would wake up and do some stuff for my auntie and then go to uh work and then go to university and come home at 12 in the evening and still have to do wow. my class for university and then probably go to bed at I don't know two to three and then wake up again at six so it was like that for four years and then the work was pretty much the easiest part of my life at that time because it was easy it was very stable for Indonesian payment at the time, it was quite a lot because after three months of the work, I got paid around $500 or so. Um, mm. uh, at, for, at that time, uh, for Indonesian salary, that was quite a lot, especially I didn't have much to pay. Then I realized, okay, I feel like if I don't quit now, I'm going mm -hmm. to find it very difficult to switch. Yeah. So... I quit the job 
and I moved out of my auntie's house and then uh yeah lived in Changu um also started find a remote work I actually quit after I finished working I didn't work for a year because I needed some kind of break then I yeah, that also... was what, what I was gonna ask you because oh. you mentioned that the easiest part of your life at that point was your job so yeah, would you say job. looking back what was the most challenging part because I keep having this sensation I don't know maybe I'm just projecting but I feel like the living with your aunt and <laughs> then like having the whole not being able to you know explore and do this like things that normally <laughs> teenagers they really enjoy doing um, yeah. I feel like this shaped you a lot and maybe that was I don't know like one of the most challenging parts but I don't know so I would really like to maybe you could expand on that a little bit more like if that because normally you know like if you are in a place for such a long such long hours of the day that is really challenging but if it's not if it wasn't the most hard difficult challenging part of your moment in those four years then what was well yeah the work was the easiest part right um the university was challenging like intellectually challenging also um i guess intellectual because it intellectually challenging it also becomes mentally challenging mm -hmm. uh, right because <clears throat> it's like okay why did you choose to study computer science do you think you can do that and then me finding it difficult intellectually not intellectually I was just not very interested in it like it's mm. not my thing you know like after a few years no not after a few years after a few months in I realized that it's so hard it's just so hard for me to focus I don't like it I don't yeah and you know even admitting to myself that I don't like it was very difficult so it mm -hmm. was it was mentally more mentally challenging than um yeah living with my auntie obviously was also challenging well very challenging uh, <laughs> yeah well <laughs> you are a teenager right you are very I mean like you're very curious you want to do certain things um but because you can't then a lot of thing I think was become suppressed like a lot of emotions you know like which is why I dive deeper into like I said psychology because I, I don't know that's why I say I forgot the part of my life where I actually moved out of home at 12 already because my yeah. life here like really consumed me a lot those years mm. was very emotionally and mentally um consuming and also draining yeah and you know I feel like I also didn't trust anybody to talk to about it on or mm. it's just not in my blood to you know when I feel something to go to someone and say hey this is how Reach I feel out. and stuff like that yeah. yeah yeah so um oh I also forgot to tell you my parents divorced <laughs> when they were when I was 11 uh so one year before you left home 
just yes at 12 okay yeah yeah 11 or 10 actually a little bit earlier than that so I remember my mom came to me and asked me like uh well they were not living together at that time right and then um she came to me and asked me uh hey can you sit down for a little bit so she sat me down actually at 10 maybe perhaps 10 Mm -hmm. um and she said I think I will file the divorce and then she she asked me what do you think right at oh then my God, she asked me no. what do you think <laughs> but surprisingly I mean I didn't know at the time I only noticed that now looking back so she I, I said well if you think that's the best then do it um because I saw my mom like suffering like crying at night or whatever she was going through I witnessed that right so I told her as a 10 year old I told my mom well it's your life if you think that's gonna make you happier and your life better or our life better then do it and that is not going to make you less of my mom and him less of my dad I mean it's already not living in the same house anyway right now so you know but honestly, so that, for a 12-year-old to have 10. the maturity to... Yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> for a 10-year-old to have the maturity to even come up with this conceptualization of an idea of like, what is divorce? What are the impacts of divorce? like, And for you to have to guide your mom and support her emotionally through that, like that's extremely challenging, extremely challenging. Like I can't even imagine. Yeah, and I don't know. I well, they said that our memory can be tricky sometimes, right? They make you remember things that you think happened, but actually, it's just your memory. The way you, you interpret it, yeah, yeah. But the way that I saw it, I don't remember ever feeling like, "Oh my God, why?" You know, why don't you think about us or things like that? I never think of it that way. But obviously, uh, perhaps the situation at the time has something to do with it, right? Because they were not living together and my mom was not happy. So, you know, I don't want to be, I don't see any point of being angry, right? It's already, it is already like a divorce. It's just that yeah. needed to be legalized. So that was my answer then. I didn't know that it was mature. Of course, I was 10-year-old. and <laughs> <laughs> But I also remember my mom because she often do that, like she would ask me one thing once and then come back to me next two days and the same question. So I remember she came to me two days later and she she asked me the same question. And I said, I already answered that yesterday, didn't I? Um, and I please leave me alone now because I'm I have a exam coming up. And it's, I, in Indonesia, oh we have God. this thing called uh, a national exam where you if you fail that and you cannot graduate elementary school. So I remember saying that to my mom, can please leave me alone now because I already answered yesterday. Why ask me again? So <laughs> I think that is my teenager <laughs> yeah. or my child self coming out. Right. So. So that is also, I think, a big, um, what do you call it, part that shaped me in my yeah. life. Something yeah. that I did not, I didn't see until later on when I grew up, right? Because I told you I learned a lot about psychology and then I um, came across um, a lot of parenting stuff. Well, I think it got to a point where 
I realized that actually I now understand that the shortcut to understanding yourself better is to learn about parenting. Oh, not for sure, yeah. Yeah, not yeah. because when when you tell people oh you should learn parenting, they what they think is that okay, I I'm I don't have plan to have children yet. So they think it's to parent people, to parent yeah. children. But what I saw was or what I learned was you well, I basically reparenting myself. Yeah. That's what I did. Yeah. So, yeah. So when you learn about parenting, it's like, okay, it tells you, right? If you do this to the children, this is how they're going to perceive it. And at the time, um, I just felt so much guilt for being who I am because there was a mm. lot of comments that made about me, about like, oh, why are you not excited about things? Or why are you crying for such a small things? Or, you know, why do you, don't you have uh, many friends or things like that? And for me as a teenager, that didn't make me feel depressed. It made me feel curious. Like, okay, so how mm. do I, how am I? It might make me cry, but I also look for an answer. So... So that's when I started, okay, so how do other people feel like, how would they react if the same event occurred to them, right? Like, uh, you know, how, what is normal feeling and stuff like that? And yeah. Yeah. What is the normal? Like it, there is not even a normal, there's, there's only you exactly. and your feelings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and, and I you love have that to... you're talking about that because I feel yeah. like that's exactly like the whole point of this podcast and the whole point of why I love talking to uh, different people, because I feel like the way that I like to see the world personally is like, mm. we are all, we were all designed as the, like these little souls. And we came into the earth knowing kind of how our lives would turn out and how not 100%, but like how our, at least our basis would be of our family, of our circumstances and things like that. So it would shape us into becoming curious and developing those skills and those inner geniuses that we have and so while you're telling me your story I can see like okay I don't know if you're the oldest child are you <laughs> I am yeah so I, I, I kept good. like feeling I, I, <laughs> I felt that like I knew it because I just saw like a kid that had to go grow up like really fast and become mature like this and didn't have maybe a lot of space to be her like child self, you know, I don't know, maybe I'm projecting because again, I'm like very yeah. similar. Um, I'm the oldest child. My parents never got divorced, but mm. I felt like because of my own circumstances, I've always had to take care of myself, never trust mm. anyone, never ask for help, never reach out for help, like you said as well. And then you had to grow really grow up really fast. Like at 12, <laughs> you were having to like set an alarm and wash your stuff and things like that. While maybe 80%, I, I don't know, like 80, 70% of all of the other 12-year-olds in the world were like, worried about what ketchup they were going to eat or like what <laughs> TV they were going to watch, you know, or like whatever, like play, what <clears throat> type of cartoon they were going to act, you know, uh, with their friends or, you know, whatever. And it's so interesting because all of those like little things start shaping you into, okay, like this mature child, you know, and then at the same time, you then go off to your auntie's place and then you have all of this matureness that is that 
is still being built on you. And then you have kind of like, you feel mature enough to do things, but then you still have an adult that tells you like, no, you can't do this thing. So you kind of feel very constricted, like within your inner self. And then you have all of this curiosity bubbling up and then you can't express them. And I feel like at this point, you can go on to so many different ways of acting and so many self-sabotaging or whatever, like falling to depression, falling to anxiety, falling to rebellion. You know, you can like maybe mm. become rebellious. And you had this, for some reason, and I also really wanted to ask you about this, like you had this curiosity that was so strong in you that led you to like look at your salary and say like, I'm going to invest in books and like, I'm going to learn about psychology and like talking to that guy, like those synchronicities, you know, like the Japanese guy yeah. that told you about this and like things that started like making sense inside of you and you started taking your next steps because I don't know, like when I received my first salary, I spent it and I remember <laughs> that I saw like a few reais like it was in Brazil so a few Brazilian reais still in my bank account like I think it was like 75 mm. and I was like okay what can I buy with 75 maybe I should just go to the mall and buy something and then I remember someone <laughs> told me like you know that you can save money right and I was like oh it's true like I don't have to spend all of this salary I yeah, can yeah, save yeah. it and I had like I didn't even think about that you know and that mm. I was I don't know, maybe 17, as like 17, 18, I don't know. Um, and it's so interesting that for me, like <laughs> seeing you as how in how your life create, like built you into this like little teenager that received their first salary and said like, okay, how can I invest this? Okay, I can't put this money in the bank because what is good this going to give me like the level of things that you were thinking of already, you know, and then you're like, okay, I'm going to buy books. I'm like, wow, if this was my kid, I'd be like, this is the most smart kid in the world, you know? <laughs> and I don't know, I guess like, I'm just kind of like summarizing and putting the, like plugging in the dots, you know, connecting the dots of how your past built you into who you are now and make the decisions that you made and everything like that. But I feel like one thing that I'm really curious about is how do you think that this thoughts of um, like, I want to learn more about psychology. I need to invest in myself. Like I want to take these steps. Like, how do you feel like what moments in your life led you to have this mindset and this curiosity about people and everything and also how did you deal i don't know maybe we'll talk about that more in in depth but how mm -hmm. did you deal with emotionally and mentally with like this um experience of with your end you know of like mm -hmm. feeling like you want to do so many things but but not being able to and then yeah, how did you cope with that? How did you how did you deal with that? And how do you think it's a lot of questions, but you can answer. And how do you <laughs> feel like it shaped who you are today as well? Okay, the first is um the curiosity, right? Like uh, yeah, why was I so curious about it? So uh yeah, like I said, I think the trigger was there's so many comments that it's made about me, even before I moved to Bali um for instance one comments that are often told right oh you don't have many friends mm. uh, as a child you for sure would feel bad right okay what is wrong with me why don't I have many friends 
right? So, but like I said, there's no one to ask. You live in a village. There's no one you can ask. Like <laughs> even your <laughs> even your teacher probably wouldn't know. Another like more comments was made. Like, okay, why are you crying? Well, that's one of the things that is more often. Why are you crying for just such a small thing? It's just a small thing. Why are you crying? Something like that. So mm. uh, I would remember like as a teenager, just laying down on my bed, looking at the ceiling and like, so I'm not supposed to cry. So how mm. am I supposed to feel? You know, like what is the proper, you know, like how do I just like how do I become a decent human being so is it wrong to cry right so I think these things was like these questions the curiosity maybe began from that like small comments made about yourself Mm. and then I remember finding a book uh, in my auntie's house I think it's called easy peasy Um, Mm. it's kind of like if you have ever read how to win friends and influence people it's uh it's kind of like that but a very small uh a smaller version of it so so i learned that book and then i remember it's talking about uh it says that the most beautiful thing uh someone will ever hear and they that they really like to hear is their own name Right. Mm. So that's, I was probably 13, 14 when I read that. And I'm like, it blew my mind. Their own name? What does it mean? So, so mm-hmm. like when you talk, when I talk to you, you know what, Kami? Like, keep calling your name. Like, you know what, Kami? This is so blah, blah, blah. Right. So, and then when you talk to them, you like touch them a little bit. So, this kind of um, psychology thing, like uh, art of communication. And then I practice it and it worked. So, I think that is what sparked my interest with psychology oh another thing is when I was still in Sumatra uh, before we had our national exam to graduate from junior high school so because junior high school is like very tough if you don't graduate if you don't pass the exams you need to basically stay in the junior high school until next year and that's embarrassing no one wants that so like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> your motivation you know? to pass it's embarrassing <laughs> yeah it's embarrassing um uh yeah like there was this group of people they're basically a group of salesmen salesmen coming to the school promoting this book called nlp so you know mm. what nlp is? Yeah. yeah neural language programming yeah um so they talk about you know i remember there was a story in the book about a boy whose name is Adam Coe, who was uh, considered, you know, like a stupid kid in his school, you know, always the last, uh, the rank, is like, I'm always the last in the school. And it's just like considered as stupid. Uh, but after his, and then he moved schools so many times because like, you know, his parents, wants him to be better but he just doesn't get better at school so they keep moving him until one day they came across NLP and they learn about NLP and then he became like the number one student and got Mm. to the top university in in Singapore and stuff like that so I read that when I was uh maybe 13 14 so when I told you I started reading book uh Mm -hmm. at my work and you know accumulating my salary 
to buy books, I actually found a book written by that guy. Oh my God. <laughs> the I synchronicity. Know. <laughs> That's crazy. It's so crazy. <laughs> so, so, so crazy. I remember going to... So usually, whenever I got my salary, I would drive straight to the bookstore. And then I would just like... My book will be piling like this, going to the cashier. And moms and kids, the mom and the kid will look at me like, what is she doing with that book? Is she going to resell it kind of look? <laughs> yeah. Yes. I actually was given that comment. Do you actually even read these books? Um, so I remember seeing the book like Adam Cole. I remember it's like a reunion with a friend. It's like uh, wow. it's, it's something that I read when I was very little. And then yeah, like it was circle him. Moment. Yes, he actually wrote that book. I think it's also a moment of revelation. So this guy is actually real. He wrote the book. So his story yeah. was real. It was not just, you know, a sales pitch Some... to sell that NLP yeah. book when I was young. So I bought that book. It's called How to um, Change Your Brain to Change Your Destiny or something like that. So it's it's about uh, brain and your mind and how it works and how you can, you know, yeah, you know how ca- how you can empower yourself once you understand how your mind works, something like that. So, so that's why I was curious about all these things. And yeah, I think you mentioned I I never even noticed it. It's like a synchronicity, right? Like oh, now this guy, and then that happened. So a lot of synchronicity. And then another question was, how did I deal with the pressure of living with my auntie as a teenager? And how do you feel like this shaped you into who you are today and making the decisions and maybe having the interests, like maybe having the podcast, you know, finding digital nomads and things like that. It's probably connected to the fact that you couldn't, you know? Yeah, I think. Well, you mentioned about when you have a lot of suppression, you it might lead you to destructive stuff, to rebel, right? Mm-hmm. I have not gotten into that point, which is one of my biggest fear. Because um, I didn't do... Well, because I read a lot about psychology. I could even see that when somebody is maybe having a bad mood and say to their friend, okay, let me call a friend and let's go out. Whereas maybe there's something in your life that you need to fix rather than run away, you know, to hang out somewhere. So I know that. So I never, I never tried to escape is what I would, Mm. what I would um, describe myself as. I always try to just, Okay, what is this feeling? Like the one that I told you about in in my podcast when I feel irritated about that guy that kept talking about his trauma, right? Is always asking, okay, why do I feel this way instead of how can I get rid of this feeling? So Do you want to tell that story? Because I think that that story is really interesting and I think it showcases (laughs) so much about like projection and mirroring. And I think it also showcases your emotional maturity and Mm -hmm. how much knowledge you have about your inner self and your feelings. I love that story. So please. You love it. it. Okay, sure. Yeah. Okay. So uh, during COVID, there was this cafe in Changu in Bali that was 
cafe slash homestay so they they have they kept their pool open for in case people want to go there so i used to go there for you know co-working like just working there to for a change because not many other cafes were open open so then i would i would go there and then there's this guy that was staying there and then i didn't even intentionally try to you know overhear his conversation but it was just so close to me in the pool (laughs) that I could hear it even if I try to put music on so and then it's just like at first he was talking about yeah my my mom it's abusive and blah 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 and then okay and then he kept meeting I could even hear the conversation since the beginning like okay he got to know these people they introduced themselves and then it goes he goes straight to the traumatic story and mm-hmm. then he kept mm-hmm. repeating the same story to different people even new people that as is, you would in Bali. as you would yes as you would naturally exactly yes I somehow <laughs> um and then I just feel like okay this is starting to feel like a broken record now mm. and I just could feel the ache in my chest like it's just so disturbing it just disturbed me like it's just like oh my god stop talking about it kind of thing you know it's (laughs) just like so disturbing that it almost comes out that it almost I almost say it to him but yeah the question that I would ask myself was that why am I so annoyed by that Mm -hmm, it's not that why is that guy so annoying why Mm -hmm. am I so annoyed by that why uh what is wrong with me like what 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 about him that annoys me why so I didn't like the feeling continue to you know grow (laughs) and then I kept going there he was still there um until I think it's not long after that that realization or that question arose that I found this book called radical brilliance where it talks about the cycles that we go through in our life i don't remember what the cycles names are now in the book but i remember there are four cycles where there is a cycle where you can get stuck you know uh in your creative flow like just want to produce just keep producing something new but never really finish them something like that and then uh I think my cycle was the healing cycle. So mm-hmm. you keep looking at your wound. And there is a funny analogy that the guy mentioned. Uh, it's like, it's like you know, you go into the toilet and then, <laughs> and then keep looking at the shit. And then he said, it's like that flash the shit already. So flash yeah. it already. Yeah. So that was, that's what made me realize like, that is probably why I'm so annoyed with that guy. It's because yeah. that has been me probably at some point in my life, probably still at that point, right? And then, and then I just hated the thought that I—that is what I might sound like. Mm. And it's yeah. just that you know, like that is what's difficult. That is what aches me. It's not the guy. It's me. It's just that. Yeah it's hard to accept that that's what I've been sounding like oh my goodness no please stop (laughs) yeah Yeah, that is the (laughs) that's the story that I've been repeating to everyone no way (laughs) you know the story of oversharing right imagine meeting new people and you share this story that you probably never meet them again and 
that is the impression that I leave. Yeah. No. So, so after that realization, I think it's just instant that I just stop talking about these things, like this traumatic experience whatsoever. Um, because yeah, like flush the toilet, it's time to move to the other yeah cycle. To the so, other cycle. Yeah, what I love about this story cycle. is that it shows how people are just mirrors to you. And when right. you are self-aware enough, when you are in this place of, okay, I'm willing to learn from these people, I'm willing to learn from whatever is triggering me, instead of pointing the finger to the person, like we always say, like if you point one finger to someone, you have three point three three fingers pointing back to you. So instead yes. of pointing to that guy and going on to your friend, like maybe you did do that because we're humans, you know, and it's okay. And go, oh yeah. my God, there's this super annoying guy at the pool. Whenever I go to work, <laughs> blah, 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 instead of like, that's interesting. Like this guy is really annoying me. Like what is the, I always like to explain triggers as like you have a bump on your shoulder like you have a bruise on your mm-hmm. shoulder and then someone was walking on the streets and they bump on your shoulder if you didn't have mm. a bruise it wouldn't hurt as much it would be like ah, oh, this is uncomfortable but whatever like just brush it off and walk away if it has yeah. a bruise you're like oh my god like this fucking hurts and everything and you're complaining and it's hurting and it's just painful you know and yeah. this just shows how like and i think it was so interesting that you ask the question and then the universe or whatever you believe in led you to the answer like it showed you a book you read the book you identified in the book like oh okay it's irritating (laughs) me because I've been doing this I've been in the healing like always talking about my trauma and victimizing myself and like telling this as if it was my story mode just like the guy in the pool so this is not my story anymore like this is not how I want to be perceived so just flush Mm -hmm. it and then once you decide to do that like the guy doesn't even if either he disappears from your life like he stops going to the pool or you stop Mm -hmm. going to the cafe or it just stops irritating you altogether because you were willing to look at yourself from that circumstance and I love that. And I also want to tie this back into what we were talking about before. So with this vision that you had already in mind, like looking at people mm. as if they were mirrors on in you, and also the fact that you never were the person to rebel, quote unquote, or escape, quote unquote, from your reality. How do you feel like growing up with your auntie at this point? brought you some specific realizations in regards to how like what was she triggering to you and what you felt like you were being mirrored back like what type of pains you know was really triggering and how did you navigate those if you ever thought about that I don't know maybe when I was living with my auntie it was very strict right I couldn't well she did mention that um if you want to live here, you are not allowed to do certain things. Otherwise, you can go back to Sumatra, right? So it's basically giving me, well, this is how I look at it now, obviously. there I looked at it differently then as well, right? But the way that I look at, at it now is that she gave me choice. Um, mm. And, and of course, uh I would like to stay in Bali. I don't want to go back to Sumatra. So I have to obey. And I did not have, well, I believe that 
whatever situation we are in life, we always have choices. Mm -hmm. Let's say that mm -hmm. I could, you know, like, I don't know, I could escape, I could run away, I could rebel, I could do all things that could uh, damage her trust. But I never did that. Like, I never... Uh, I it, she gave me a choice and I respect that in the best of my ability that I could you know like as a teenager I could have you know like uh, maybe I don't know escape the house for two days or something and never come yeah. back or you know make troubles but I never did that it probably has something to do with me being a 12 12 year old already living by myself and taking yeah. care of myself taking responsibility of myself so uh what led me to internally deal with it in a way that <clears throat> is not projecting but rather trying to reflect is I feel like my curiosity in human being and the human behavior led me to that because because you know like there is this adult part of me that wants to understand people beyond their facade mm -hmm. you know like if someone say mean things to me when I am in my mature <laughs> state of being, I tend to think like, okay, what happened to you? Why did you say this? You know, mm -hmm. like Same. this is the kind of thoughts that goes. But of course, you are also still a teenager. There are parts mm -hmm. of you that like, oh my God, I, you know, a part of you that expects a certain individual, especially if they're mature, that you expect them to be more mature treat you mm -hmm. in a certain way and then when they don't do that it kind of like you know cause some kind of conflict within you and then because you have trust issue and you are a like almost like a closed book um I feel like I'm like a closed book but if you try to open you can read it all that is <laughs> how I am <laughs> yeah. yeah but if you don't try to open it it's going to remain closed that is mm -hmm. that is how I feel like um so so I think my curiosity about human being is big enough for me to just stick to try to face my challenges face mm. any kind of pain that might occur and I feel like what's difficult is cuz you also I mean I don't know about you but for me like I like I like this idea of being strong and strong and I also have you know like there's this thing of who I think I am and then mm -hmm. there's who I really am so mm -hmm. or who I'd like to be maybe like who I'd mm -hmm. like to be is this person that forgives everyone never gets angry very mm -hmm. wise understands everything from a deeper level you know never judge anyone so <clears throat> when there are some kind of anger that triggers me like that guy you know I saw him the hard part is also how can this still be annoying me after all this mm -hmm. time? Mm -hmm. And then how did it let how, how did I let it hurt me? Mm -hmm. And how did it how did I let it affect me so much? Because this is my ideal self. But who yeah. I really am is still also this, you know, young adult who needs to deal with it. And well. I guess in the society that the 
we thought that the way to deal with it is to, I don't know, bury yourself with work, say that you are so busy and then, I don't know, turn into this very successful individual that never got hurt. But really <clears throat> what you need to do, I feel, is that to accept it, to accept mm -hmm. the fact that certain things hurt you, certain things, you know, disturb you, um, yeah. certain things break you, then, yeah, like admit it. Because they say that you can't let go of something that you never have no, so. or hold on to. So, mm. so just like even trying to accept the fact that, wow, I let that hurt me. And then because you have also the idea of that you are this strong individual, it's mm. uh, it's hard to to yeah. just like I can't believe that hurts me. That shouldn't. That should. It shouldn't. It's just such a small thing. And also, how come I know all these things? You know, like I learned mm. psychology, I learned spirituality. You know, I learned about how the mind works. I learned how you can trick your mind. All sort of things, and then. It makes it harder, actually, in a sense, because how can I learn all these things and still feel this way? I love that. I absolutely yeah. love that. And I feel like it's so relatable, especially, as you said, when you start going through like this personal development, spiritual route, you feel like yeah. you are a, like, I don't know, I, you start feeling like you're a problem that needs to be fixed and then you start like doing all of this, those things so you try to achieve this ultimate like ideal person that you are not realizing that you are not a problem that has to be fixed but rather accept all parts of you including your light and your shadow as well and the moment that you do that then you can act with self-compassion with self-love and then life yeah. just becomes easier and lighter and I feel like it's so challenging to accept those parts of us. Um, I remember like when I started going into spirituality and I mentioned this in our call uh, that I worked for like two years in the spiritual company and everything like that. And mm. we all like I had this spiritual persona, you know, like this spiritual mm. ego. I feel like this happens yeah. so much. And we talk also how this is like super common in Bali. Uh, at mm -hmm. least in our experience, like how the <laughs> spiritual ego is super common that people go go to and they're like, hi, how are you? And they look you in the eyes and they touch you like slowly. They're like, be one with the food and with nature and blah, blah, blah. And then the <laughs> second someone cuts them off, like in the in traffic, they just flip over, you know? They get yeah. super angry, super mad because there's still a part of them that has those like, quote unquote, shadowy stuff, this inner child stuff. Mm. And they tried to bury it with like this spiritual persona. And I used to be a lot like this person. I remember like I was doing my first Reiki training and the practitioner, she said like, okay, for the next 21 days, you guys have to apply Reiki on yourselves to integrate the energy to open your channel and things like that. And you can't eat meat, you can't drink alcohol, because otherwise that will block your channel for you to receive the energy and things like that. And I was very like, okay, you know, like very strict, let's do this 21 days, no meat. I was already a vegetarian at that point. Um, hmm. I'm not anymore, but anyways uh, so I was like very strict <laughs> about it and I was like yeah no alcohol alcohol is shit blah 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 
And then I remember that one day my mom, she was cooking um, the family a risotto. And normally when you cook risotto, you need to put white wine. But it's mm -hmm. not like the white wine will be there and you'll get drunk or something. Like it evaporates, you know? So it's just mm. a little taste on it. But the yeah. actual alcohol evaporates. And I remember walking into the kitchen <laughs> and seeing my mom cooking. And she was like, ah, like super sweet. Like I'm making risotto for all of us. And I was like, mom, you're cooking with white wine. And she was like, yeah, it's part of the risotto recipe then I just flipped out I was like I told you that I can't drink alcohol blah 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 blah. and I just started like yelling and I was really mad and everything and she was just staring at me like okay you just don't eat it you know I was like ah oh, no one ever respects me in this family and and I was there like you know like these people who drink alcohol and put alcohol in their food just thinking I was super enlightened and actually like the least spiritual thing is to get pissed at your mom who is doing something nice for you because she's yeah. putting alcohol in the risotto. And then in the bottom line, it was, why did that get me so angry? Like, why did it get me so pissed at my mom? Like, that's the actual question. And mm. not, and I feel like the moment that you put yourself in this spiritual ego slash spiritual pedestal, you mm. feel mm. like there's like you are above everyone else and then you are above all of the bad and negative quote-unquote things that mm. humans feel like I don't feel anger I don't feel stress because I'm this peaceful bubble of meditation and love and that's not the reality because that you are still human being you know you're still in this 3d reality and except if you're like I don't know Buddha or Eckhart Tolle or whatever you're not enlightened you know and that's okay like it's not something bad it's okay to feel all of those things it's okay to be angry and it's like the biggest and most quote-unquote enlightened thing that you can do is to actually follow the crumbs of why did i get angry in the first place and mm. also accept that that is a part of you you know instead of trying to change it or fix it or you know constrict it like i can't get angry and the moment you say that to yourself it's the moment that you are going through get angry you know you have that yeah. inside of you that's okay you know so mm. i really love that i really really do i think that's so important it's like a huge message especially especially for like the spiritual personal development community <laughs> it's like it's okay <laughs> to be your human <laughs> self you know so i love that you got to that um realization as well yeah definitely there is even with reading, I feel like there are stages that you go through. Um, like you said, when you learn about spirituality, you feel like you are better than everyone else mm -hmm. and stuff like that, right? Um, what For me, when it comes to spirituality, I don't think it got to that point. But when I was, you know, studying, like learning about these things, uh, I just noticed that um the pattern the pattern like um okay at first you feel like you know everything and you know like uh maybe know everything more than people and then after that you realize that oh actually there's so much i don't know and then you go through all this self self doubt and stuff like that and Oh, actually, you mentioned about, yeah, like the ideal, the ideal self, or did I mention it? It's like, we, yeah, you talked about it. And then I yeah, referred to it. Yeah. Yeah, there is a there is this book. 
that I read. It's called Atomic Habit. Have you read it? Uh, oh, like- I, I, I had a dream about this book. Like that's how much <laughs> I think my intuition wants me to read it. And I always look oh, at it and I'm yeah. like, ah, would it be good enough for me? I don't know if I would be, if it would be useful. So please tell us about the, the book. <laughs> okay. So this is something, well, obviously Atomic Habit, it's talking about habit, how you can, you know, uh, you know, get a better habit by, doing a small thing right like for instance if you want to start doing yoga tomorrow um you start doing a small something as small as putting your i don't know yoga outfit out there and then have your um mat already lay down on there and then instead of saying i'm going to do uh yoga every day for one mm-hmm. hour a day you just say i will do i don't know one minute something like that Mm -hmm. so it's atomic you start from something small but Mm. what I remembered from that book was that uh, about identity shifting so he said that I remember the example that he gave was um, some people find it hard to change like let's say profession because their identity is so tied into Mm. certain things even some people find it hard like let's say some woman or some people their identity is a mom Mm. Uh, it's like I'm a mom Mm -hmm. so when the children is going away they're losing themselves because Mm. their children that they're focusing them their life on is going away so the same with uh our work and if you say let's say for me instead of saying uh i am a digital marketer i say i do digital marketing Mm -hmm. so i can do other things later so my work is not me like uh so so this is something small that we don't realize is making it difficult for us to shift things in our life. And I kind of, when I read that, it made me think of the trauma, right? Like if you keep repeating the mm-hmm. same story ever over and over, like me or like that guy at that uh, cafe, it becomes your identity. Be it a victim or a hero in that story, it becomes your identity. So. And especially if you don't realize it, you find it hard to, why is it so hard to let go of this of this story? Because you can always change the story that you tell yourself and tell yeah. other people, right? The most important story is one that you tell yourself, of course. So mm-hmm. why was it so hard to, you know, like let go of this story? Because it has become part of my identity. So it has become part of who I am. Like when you say, what do you think is the story that shaped you into who you are today? Maybe if you asked me that like a year ago, even or two years ago, I would say, oh, that story, that particular story when I lived with my auntie, go to university and work together, uh, that's what shaped me. But now I can say, well, the whole thing shaped me, right? Like, oh, I gave my parents divorce and blah, blah, blah. you know, move out from home at 12. I started reading books and a lot of those things shaped me. So I feel like this is something that, oh my God, it takes a lot of awareness to realize that who do you think you are 
and who you are actually are because sometimes yes. they are very different which is related yes. to what you say in the spirituality yeah. thing like maybe you think you are so enlightened but then that is what you think you are like you're this enlightened person that you mm-hmm. know um it's just like love everything and everyone and <laughs> and then you find yourself snapping at somebody that cut you at the traffic that's also you are so yeah, yeah just like being aware i think is important yeah. yeah i think it all goes back to the stories that we tell ourselves about who we are, who we, who we are, and the beliefs that we have about ourselves, right? So, so yeah. um, ah, I'm not some like, I'm not someone who meditates. Ah, it's so hard for me to meditate. No, I'm not a meditator. Oh, my, my brain can never shut, uh, shut off. Uh, I'm a very bad cook. Like the, <laughs> we are shaped by beliefs, like NLP, all of those things. They talk about that as well, and we are mm-hmm. the ones who build our identities based on the childhood that we had and things like that were uh, reinforced to us. And then from that point, we are just then, I think Dr. Joe Dispenza, he talks a lot about that. At some point, Mm. you're just looping on that old childhood and you're on that old story, that those old beliefs, those old emotions, those old thoughts about who you are and the whole story about who you are in the first place. So that's why a lot of people find it very hard to break the cycle of um that identity of you because that's what you've been told that you are and then you start believing it and mm-hmm. we can then talk about like the placebo effect like so many things that we can create in our bodies mm-hmm. and in our realities with the mind and the beliefs that we have about ourselves and i feel like the most um irritating things thing quote-unquote or like the (laughs) i think that we get really angry when we are confronted about when those deep beliefs that we have about ourselves especially Mm. the good ones are confronted Mm -hmm. um so for example i think that i'm a really peaceful (laughs) human and then like now i'm in a relationship like I, I've, now I'm in a relationship with my boyfriend. We've been together for like five months, like not that long. Mm-hmm. And I have I was single for like three years before that and really working on myself, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I'm not someone who gets jealous. Like mm-hmm. to telling my friends <laughs> who are in relationships, like, why are you jealous? Like, just, you know, like allow because the universe, if you're meant to be together, if you're meant to, to find out something wrong that he did, you will, blah, blah, blah. Like having this whole, you know, like super super spiritual and releasing approach like I think I could be in a in an open relationship like (laughs) things like that and then actually having the relationship and being like super jealous you know and like right retroactive jealous like jealous of like things in the past like this you Mm. know things and it makes me so irritated because I'm like I can't believe that I'm this person because I was telling myself that I was a person and now that I'm confronted with a reality that is Uh, disagreeing with that this makes me super angry you know so I think that's really interesting how yeah and I feel like that happens in so many different areas of our lives you know and even us thinking a bad thing about ourselves and the reality is the completely opposite of that but we don't believe in ourselves we don't believe that that is true we don't believe that we're good enough so I feel like once you have, 
I don't feel I don't even think that that is possible but I don't know maybe what do you think like do you think it's ever possible that we'll have we will tell the same story about ourselves as to who we really are like that one mm-hmm. day they will be in complete alignment I don't think that that's possible <laughs> you mean like um affirmation kind of thing if we'll ever perceive yourself as the person who you really are Mm-hmm. probably probably it's possible but I think yeah like when you are super aware and super aligned you probably don't think of yourself so much anymore mm. I don't know right you don't worry so much about it anymore because yeah. I think alignment is also realizing that you are one with other people like they are mm-hmm. somehow connected with you so yeah but i i feel like the beauty of being human is that you get to choose what to believe in mm-hmm. um only that we not all of us even know um that we can do that right um and then the other thing is i used to well when i was reading books i used to think oh why is this not taught at school why is that not mm-hmm, taught at school yeah. why how come like uh, and then i learned about like i said um over the years my interests change or evolve like uh, at first maybe i was learning about psychology and uh, personal development and all those motivation tony robbins stuff mm-hmm. and then you know <laughs> Uh, then about startups and then about the brain whatsoever and then about spirituality um so we can choose what to believe in um and i was reading those things and i thought why we never taught uh, why we never taught at school about how our brain works i remember yes. watching these videos about the brain tony buzan i think was the the guy uh, who made the video and say your brain is like a manual like if you buy electronics it comes with a manual uh of how it works like how to operate this let's say washing machine like you press this thing this thing will happen but mm-hmm. when you were born your brain didn't come with a manual but it's actually a very powerful machine if only you know how to operate it yeah. in the right ways right then, then i was like why are we not taught at school about the brain how, why are we not taught at school about psychology why are we not taught at school about money and how it works about investments yeah about investment and stuff like that so after that curiosity and digging deeper into it realizing that oh actually school was created to serve the industrial revolution yeah so then that makes sense why these things Mm -hmm. were not taught at school because you go to school so that you can work at factories so you don't need to learn Mm -hmm. how your brain works so i stopped Mm -hmm. asking that questions which I, i think led me to uh well the digital nomad finder is initially my boyfriend's idea um to create a project like a map uh for people to find each other and then the podcast was my idea as a part of that project to grow the community so then later on people can use the map and grow the community with it um i think it's 
also part of okay so the system is created to well serve the industrial revolution and the system is very hard to change for that insight mm-hmm. what can we do well we create an alternative this is you know this now the the era that we're living in we're moving away from industrial revolution and into technology like uh, mm-hmm. technology advancement which enable people to work online from anywhere and everyone has a smartphone and can you believe i think early this year uh indonesia ranked as number one as uh you know the most user for the internet use the most time for internet wow. like five hours and i'm like huh that's so crazy so all these things are you know connected together yeah yeah, yeah. so that's that's um i guess that's how we can lead to the business side of it because yeah yeah so now that you mentioned the digital nomads finder which is um your project and also your podcast um i would love to know because we kind of paused in the moment in your story where you were about to leave your auntie's house and go to move to Chengdu. was there something um how did that decision come into place? Uh, was that something? Was there something that specific that happened, and then you decided? And how did you decide to go to Chengdu specifically instead of anywhere else? Um, yeah. Well, the reason I have always dreamed of living in Chengdu, um, but. I think I'd never quite have quite the courage to leave my auntie's house because I moved there when I was like only a teenager. <laughs> Then I met my mm. boyfriend and I kept telling him like ah, a broken you met you met him yeah. while you were living with her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, so okay. I think after I kept telling him for a few months, okay, I I'm going to move out, I'm going to move out. And then one day he's like You were just telling me you're going to move out. You're going to move out. I'm now already sick of hearing that you're going to move out, but you never do it. Mm. Are you going to do it or not? <laughs> so that's <laughs> part of the <laughs> story. Um, then I think I did that like a month after that. But the decision before I met him, I actually already told my auntie, I want to live by myself. And she said to me, um, Why is it because you are, you know, tired of living here? Uh, then I think after I said that, she became less strict mm. uh, with me uh, in 2017. So I already actually told her that I wanted to move out. Um, but when my but i never really took the action so when i met my boyfriend and he said that you just saying it <laughs> and then i mm-hmm. finally yeah made the move so i may i moved out of my auntie's house um yeah but changu has always been i i somehow always was attracted to changu i don't know why even before it became a digital nomad place i first came to changu in 2010 with my friends mm. uh we went to the beach and ever since i was like one day i will live in changu somehow 
Oh, that's so nice. Then I, it's so cute. Yeah. <laughs> then I just live here now. So, but it's been more crowded. So. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And then, at what point did um you and your boyfriend start the the digital nomad finder? Um, he already had the idea since we met in 2018. And then I I first started the podcast in 2020, but I only mm. posted one uh video at the time. Uh but looking back at it now, well early this year, I thought it's actually still relevant, if not more mm. relevant than it was before, right? Because COVID uh inspired people to work online totally. even more and yeah it has proven that actually people can just work from home and it just works well so yeah why not continue the podcast as well as the project together so yeah we decided to continue that early this year amazing amazing and let us know where people can is it an app already that people can download is it a what like or are you developing it and then you guys are doing the podcast on the side so where people can find so, you yeah so now the app is not ready the app is supposed to be like a map where people can um, mm, find each other like yeah. where all the digital nomads are um there's more detail to it that probably shouldn't be shared now yet but um <laughs> <laughs> but there is also we have a website called www.digitalnomadfinder.com where it's basically a list of another websites where people can find remote jobs based on different categories let's say Text, mm. uh, not text, tech or English teaching. And there are websites where people can click and find uh, remote jobs from there. It's so, so that is that website. And then the podcast is for, um, well, my plan is to interview as many digital nomads as possible. So, because there are a lot of people who actually come to me and ask me, like, oh, how do I find the, uh how do i start working online where do yeah. i look for the job you know uh what skills should i have where do i learn these skills but i don't have money well i don't know how to do marketing or stuff like that right so after telling people after a lot of people from you know different backgrounds ask me i actually realized that there's no one answer to it yeah because you can just tell somebody that okay you should sell all your things and just pick a location and figure it out somewhere uh because people would start from different points in their lives right maybe somebody is having a really good job where they have a lot of savings where they can just leave their job and you know find something else or maybe somebody already has an idea of business what they can do or maybe somebody completely have a crappy job and don't have mm -hmm. a skill but really keen so everyone is starting from a very different point so the idea is to just you know ask from as many people as possible and people hopefully can watch it and learn from their stories i love that and it's very like authentic <laughs> like very <laughs> of my lane because i feel yeah. like i agree with you i feel like people 
they are all meant to have different journeys anyway. So it can't be like a copy and paste of anyone mm. else's, you know, you will have to find your own way. And of course, there are people who expand and inspire you, but ultimately you will have to follow your own inner guidance and do it in your own way. So I love the work that you're doing. And honestly, as a digital nomad myself, I feel like um, the thing that you asked uh, about loneliness on your mm -hmm. podcast I think it's a reality of a lot of digital nomads and I think that having a place where you are sure that you can find other people, other um, friends, you know, things like that. I think it's really helpful for someone that has this specific lifestyle because it's different from how the world has been doing life, you know, and creating connections and I feel like there is a lot of a lot that changed since the the pandemic, but I think that we're still undergoing a lot of more changes. So, yeah, I think that's a like an amazing idea, and I'm really excited to be using it in the future. <laughs> like awesome, yeah. thank you. Yeah, so the podcast you can just find in Digital Nomad Finder on YouTube and Perfect. you will find it and i will release the first episode within this week okay i'm really excited and okay so i have a last question for you and mm -hmm. it's always the theme of the podcast so <laughs> <laughs> how would you or how do you define authenticity ah oh, good question authenticity Mm. I think for me it's something that doesn't have to stick to only one meaning so it can change as you grow but ultimately it means to follow what you feel, not think, but feel you should be doing and not what the society, what you think the society think you should be doing or, you know, what you think your parent think you should be doing, but what you feel you should be doing and follow that. And it's sometimes scary. Mm-hmm. It's often scary. It's almost always scary. Uh, but um, just trust yourself and befriend the fear because it's there to protect you anyway. So, yeah, it's basically to follow, to follow your heart. Oh, I absolutely love that answer so <laughs> much. Thank you. Oh, my God. Thank you. This I felt it deeply in my heart while you were saying it. I felt it as truth. <laughs> so <laughs> I love that so much. Thank you so much, which honestly, this has been amazing talking to you on your podcast, on my podcast. I would love Thank to you. have you again on my podcast so we can talk about like another specific thing. You know, I feel like you have so much 
knowledge and you can reference so many <laughs> different books <laughs> and things like that. And I really, really appreciate that. I really appreciate you. appreciate all of your knowledge and your story and yeah, your authentic self and the uniqueness that you brought to the podcast. So thank you so much for being here. And also if you want to leave, I don't know, maybe if people want to connect with you, should they go to your Instagram? What do you... Uh, yeah, if people want to connect with me, it's uh, on Instagram at Uchadeon. So like okay. U-C-H-A-D-E-O-N. So yeah, I'm on Instagram most of the time. Perfect. I'm going to leave your, sh- uh, your uh, handle on the show notes for the episode and also the website and everything. Hopefully I'll be able to tag and all of the books that you mentioned on the podcast <laughs> on the show notes as well so if people want to um i don't know study a little bit more and everything but yeah thank you so much for being here thank you thank you